This is Jack Sawinski, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Soy tu cupita marcano y están escuchando Fry on the Farm. Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and right across from me is Roy. I am feeling the winds of change. Uh, follow 15 north to the I-69. All the way to Fort Wayne. All the way to Fort Wayne. God dang. Well, Jack Sawinski is going to be taking a, a long route from uh, from San Antonio out to Ant- Altoona, Pennsylvania. Yes. So the breaking oh. news is that Jack Sawinski, Tucupita Marcano, and Michelle Miliano yeah. were traded for Pirates All-Star second base outfielder Adam Frazier. Who apparently, according to the club, is going to be an uber utility guy. Right. I noticed when the announcement came, he was announced as infield outfield. Yeah. Not second base, left field, or whatever. You look at his what he's played this year, it's like 90% of his games have been at second base. Yeah, yeah. But he's been see, their starting second baseman. But he's played tons on left. Mm-hmm. A handful in center and a lot in right. Yep. So he knows all three outfield positions. Mm-hmm. He can play a little bit of third base. He made some shortstop appearances early in his career, but I doubt yeah. we'll see him at either of those spots. Right, right. But if, but if you watch the All-Star game, you saw him pull a double play with him and Taddy. Yes. You know, and so... Yeah, that, that, that picture of them kind of <laughs> hamming it up as they're walking off the field. And how about the suit that he was wearing on the black car- the red carpet? Same color scheme. He belongs. Oh, yeah. He fits he, right he in belongs, with Manny and Tatis. That's... Uh. But it's, you know, this is this is like we talked about this before we started. The hardest thing about doing this podcast, and really we talked, you know, these a lot of these guys a couple of years back, um, is getting to know these guys, following their careers, and seeing, you know, the, the lava boil to the top to get traded off. Right. But, you know, when you look at the Major League team, I mean, you can't, there's there's nowhere, like he's not ready to, Tukey Peter Marcano needs to play every day. He does. In the major leagues. I, I really I really believe that to at least to establish himself. Then you can move him into a super or into a utility role, even super utility role, infield, outfield. Um but he's finally like he's coming into his own this yeah. year. In AAA, all of yeah. a sudden this power is showing up. Yeah. It's like there's he's always been a confident kind of a I, I don't want to say cocky player, but right. he's always had that kind of chip on his shoulder, the hyper awareness of what's going on. Yeah. And now it's like his body is finally letting him do the things that yeah. his mind thinks he can yeah. do. And he's hitting he's hitting for a little bit of power. He's running for speed. He's hitting for average. Everything in AAA. Yeah, absolutely. But there's nowhere for him to play on this roster no. this year, next year. The year after that, it's hard to see where he would fit. Right, right, and you wouldn't want to bring him. You wouldn't want to bring him up and put him on the on the twenty sixth man and just have him sit on the bench. Right, you know, in a, like a Jorge Mateo or even a Profar role. Profar is not, you know, so one of those two guys is going to have to go in the next trade. Yeah, you figure. I you know there's there's so much going on. Yeah. Probably by the time I edit this and we put it out in the morning, there's probably going to be two <laughs> or three more trades. So a lot of what we're going to say is going to be null and void. Dude, and you know, just, and I'm not the sharpest. As you guys know this, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So I didn't I didn't get the um uh uh, uh Mike Hawk. Oh my goodness. And Phil ACO. I didn't get none of that. I'm like. I know it's a burner. It's just stupid, but I didn't get it. I just... Uh. You're very careful <laughs> on your pronunciation. <laughs> uh, but it's that's part of the fun to me. I it love is. this. It and is. the fact that it's a hard deadline on July 31st, it's different from in the past where you had the, the, the non-waiver trades. And yep. then after that, you had the waiver trade. So it's like, yeah, it's a deadline, but it's kind of a soft deadline. Right. 
where now it's if if they aren't traded by the end of this month, then that's, that's your it. last chance. That's it. Uh, so there's going to be so much going on. Yeah. But okay, so let's so Tuka Peter Marcano. Obviously, and but then Jack Sawinski is somebody that we interviewed. One of our one of the interviews that I enjoyed most, right? Uh, and I just by chance I happened to be up in Lake Elsinore when his family was in town, so I met his mom, his dad, his sister, and they're wonderful people. Yeah. So we had an opportunity to get to know this guy a little yeah. bit and his family, and we cut. And then this year he's having this breakout season. He's hitting tons of tons of home runs. Tons of like home every runs. time we turn around, he's having a two home run game. Yeah. He's stealing bases. He's playing great defense out in center field in double A, where he's relatively young still. Yeah. And you're looking at it going, this kid's putting it together. He's on the verge of something. And then you look at the Padres roster and you got Trent Grisham and you got you got other players right. in the pipeline Big that money Robert guys. Hassel the third right. is even though he's so young, he's in single A, there's a good chance he might lap him. Right. CJ Abrams if he moves out to center field. Yeah. So where do you put Jack Sawinski? I don't know. Right. So it makes sense to move guys like that. And and at a time where, you know, if you look at his numbers, his second half numbers uh, in Lake Elsinore, he had 12 home runs in, in Fort Wayne, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at the second half of the season and it kind of tapered off. He did a lot of work during during the pandemic, a lot of work to, to, to condition his body. Um, but there's that possibility that we've seen the best of what Jack can do this season. You know, this True. part of the season. True. He hit home run this weekend. He, uh, you know, so it, it, he's kind of selling at a high point. Like, we're, we're trading him with a lot of value. You could be. Yeah, yeah, and you could say the same thing about Marcano. Yeah. He may be showing a lot, but then the flip side of that is, is somebody that comes to mind is Carlos Asuaje, yeah. who had a fantastic year in AAA, and everybody was looking at him going, maybe there's something there. Right. And then he comes up to the majors, and you see that really he's a 4A guy. Yeah. He's he's pretty good, but he's just barely <clears throat> off the edge of a major league roster. Right. I'd like to think that Tuka Pete is more than that, but who knows? Right, and I, and I think so too, because that year, that was when they had the rubber ball. Right, <laughs> right. When they had the rocket ball in AAA, so, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, well, and we saw Austin Hedges post crazy numbers too. So we've learned how to temper our expectations of what comes out of AAA. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, it, it, you know, it's um, the team's better. It is. Adam Frazier's a good player. He is, and yeah. And he, you can put him in a handful of spots, as you were yeah. pointing out. And, and arbitration eligible after the end of 2020, too. Right, so, he's got one more year of team control. Right, and so simply, I mean, that's, that's easy. If he does well this year, next year, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can sign her to a multi-year contract, well, depending I mean, on how how the how the ball bounces. I I feel like this is more of a kind of a win now move that they're preparing for this year and next year. That these are the years that they really right. want to make a push, and then you look off in the distance and you see the players that you hope are going to backfill, yeah. and there are other moves that they can make. But now you've got Cronenworth, Kim, and Frazier that you can position over on the right side of the infield. Yeah. You got Hosmer over there too, so there's a little bit of a playing time conundrum right. that I think is going to shake itself out in the next handful of days. Yep. Uh, and I don't think we're getting rid of Cronenworth or Kim. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that something somehow happens with with Hosmer. AJ's not an idiot. Remember, he's playing checkers, advanced checkers. Like we're just thinking about chess. Well, well, well we're sorry. That's all. I feel like the last two times we were in this kind of a situation were when Matt Kemp got dealt for. Um, um, what was his name? O- Olivares that came from the Braves. Edward Olivares, yeah. Not Edward Olivares. He was the the domestic abuser that they wanted. He had a bad oh, contract. Oh, yeah, and the catcher they, guy. And they cut him immediately. Yeah, didn't even, didn't even put him yeah, in uniform. It was just a swap of contracts, and then they just released him immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was the James Shields trade, which brought us our Lord and Savior. 
So there are examples where we can look at where Preller had a very bad contract and he somehow at least, you know, it made, came up with a creative way to move it. And right. there's a chance that he might even turn it into a positive. Right. I don't know. It's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. And, you know, and I wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Like Preller, like, just we know, like, even like, even the, the Fraser, there was, what, why, why do we need that guy? Just take it easy. The guy knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. I saw somebody point out, well, you can't get slam Diego with a guy that doesn't have power. And I had, well, you need to get guys on base right. to get that slam. Yeah. And this guy gets on base a ton. Yeah. People have pointed out that he's a little bit of a BABIP reliant, that his batting average is extraordinarily high this year. He leads the league in hits, yep. but he's also been quote unquote lucky. I don't know how, if you can attribute that to truly being lucky or if it's um, uh, if it's a skill that he's placing the ball like he wasn't before. I don't know. But regardless, we got a guy that can hit, that can get on base, that does not strike out, that fits a lot of what this team is trying to do. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm, I love it. I'm, I'm sad to see Sawinski and, and Marcano go. Yeah. Michelle Miliano is an interesting guy that we've never really gotten a chance to see. He nope. barely dipped his toe in Lake Elsinore this year, <clears throat> but really he struggled to make it off the complex yeah. in the, I think, three years that he's been in the organization. So talented guy, but who knows? So it's yeah. a lottery ticket. So it's tough to see those guys go, but at the same time, it makes the team better. We got an all-star. We got an all-star. We have an yeah. entire all-star infield right now. Voted in all-star. Like, he wasn't, cho- like, the fans chose that guy. Yeah, <laughs> the fans yeah. chose that guy. He was the starting second baseman, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah he was. All right, so that, that's great. The team's better, but we even have more transactions because I think this is the time of year when, you know, we have the draft, we have the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, move Things are moving, and things are moving in, in the affiliates, in the system. Right. They're, it's, they're churning. Yeah, it started churn. So, but I think one of the things that comes into play now is that organizations are now limited to 180 players yeah. uh, in the infield or in the uh, in their minor league organization. Um, and so you may have. Uh, I think we're seeing a bunch of a bunch more releases in the middle of the season than we used to because they need to make room for these guys that just got drafted. Right. You're going to have like 17 or 18 guys that need a place to go, and you can't just stash everybody in the complex right. like they used right, to. Right. 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 So, that doesn't know good development-wise. And this happens every year. It happens every year. It does. I think we're just seeing a little more of it this year than in years past because of the the limitations on roster sizes. Yeah. So the Tin Caps released the, uh, announced the release of uh, catcher Andrelson Arias, who is an international signee in 2018. First baseman Seamus Curran, who is signed as a minor league free agent in late May and have a, had a 706 OPS. And outfielder Jawan Harris, the Padres' seventh-round selection out of Rutgers in 2018. Harris was a multi-sport athlete at Rutgers and was one of the fastest players in the organization, but struggled this season with a 290 on base percentage. When I was in Fort Wayne and we saw that ridiculous comeback game, Harris hit an absolute monster grand slam home run. Yeah. I, yeah. He can go get it in center field. Yeah. The guy's got crazy speed. He's got monster power. He's a premium athlete. But yeah. if you can't get on base, right. I guess there's nowhere for you to go. Yeah, and both those guys, I see both him, uh, you know, Curran and, and Harris probably picking up somewhere else. Maybe, perhaps. Oh, I, maybe next year. I'll be I'll be shocked if Harris. He either wants to retire or he's going to be picked up by somebody because right. you see those raw tools and scouts will look at that and go, "There's something I can do with this guy." Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I do wonder if there's a little bit of uh, Michael Gettys there. Where he's got the athleticism and the skills that just jump off the table. Right. But then it doesn't, it never comes around in game situations. You got to bake the cake. All the ingredients are there if you know how to do it, right? Oh, that's a good analogy coming from a chef. (laughs) 
Uh, so I, I I did see that there were some other transactions. Yeah, um, on the 19th of July, the Padres released Blake Baker, who is a pitcher who's been in the organization for a while. Uh, and then on the 24th, they released right-hand pitcher Manny Guzman, right-hand pitcher uh, Frank Lopez, righty Edgar Martinez, catcher Wilfredo Tovar, and infielder Luis Paez. Um, I don't believe any of those guys made their way off the complexes. Yeah. Frank Lopez might have seen a little bit of time in single A. That's about it. Um, so it's a lot of guys that really never got yeah. too far. So it sucks to see the end of the road comes for, come for these guys, but it's just part of the business. Yeah, it's a very very hard sport. For it's sure, a, it's incredibly hard sport. So and, we, and speaking of hard, something that makes it even harder is a topic that we keep pounding on. It seems like every week, unfortunately. You know, literally this story came out the next day, like last Wednesday. I came out. God damn it! Just again, again. So here it goes. You know, some players say Los Angeles Angels are failing in treatment at minor league level as GM vows to address it. This is from June Lee of ESPN. Um, while consolidating minor leagues during the 2020 season, Major League Baseball claimed that reducing and realigning its developmental leagues would increase player salaries at all levels, increase condition standards at ballparks and clubhouses, and create lower operating costs for teams. What, what stands <clears throat> out to me is that this is coming out of ESPN. Yeah. This isn't coming out of some, the second tier blog, blog or something SF like Gate that. Or something like this that. is right. a national publication that's, that's waving the flag on this. Yeah. Uh, some minor league players in the Los Angeles Angels organization say this is not happening for them. Kirian Lovegrove, an active pitcher for the AA Rocket City Trash Pandas, said he is leaving with six other teammates. He's living with six other teammates in a three-bedroom apartment, sleeping on twin mattresses with one person sleeping in the kitchen, two others in the living room. Others like Shane Kelso, who spent part of 2021 season with the Low A Inland Empire 66ers, which we're very familiar with around here, said four teammates bunked in a camper van in a trailer park while others lived out of cars. One of the major issues facing minor leaguers, according to both Lovegrove and Kelso, is a lack of access to quality food. Kelso said the team expects him to custom consume between 3,500 to 4,500 calories a day, and they only really feed players 800 to 1,200 yeah, and that's the, the spread of... That's the spread and their per diem. Right. That's required for our job, Kessel said. If we don't do that, our bodies fail and we can't do it. Moreno did not respond to ESPN after a request for comment. Angels General Manager uh, Perry Minasin... Minasian. Minasian responded in a statement through a team spokesman. What is being reported is unacceptable and we will look at into it and address it. So just to kind of give you a whole overview of this... Uh, advocates for minor leaguers got a hold of it and put together two slides on and posted them on Twitter of what players are saying are happening to them. We had players sleep in his car for a couple of nights last week. We had guys sleeping in the training room and clubhouse last night. We have seven guys living in two bedroom, two in each room, one in the kitchen and two in the living room. I just said that. One of my teammates is sleeping every night on a couple of mattress toppers he puts down on the ground. Four of my teammates are sleeping in a camper together in a trailer park. It's hard to find places, much less ones willing to understand we can't do a six-month lease. Many of us are living in hotels paying $80 plus a night after taxes. We have players staying in, staying in Airbnbs for about $1,100 a person. That's what they make in a month. That's for a month. Mm -hmm. That's about less than what they take home right. in, a, in, a, in, in, a, in a month. I retired last month. Living conditions weren't worth it anymore, and I was bleeding money, so I got out. That's the absolute wrong reason for somebody yeah. to leave yeah. professional sports. Yeah. It's time to realize that taking the stress <clears throat> off finding and paying for housing of, off the players and not only the right thing, is not only the right thing to do, it would actually help players developmentally. Not having the stress of living like this would be an investment in the quality of players the game produces. 
It's an investment. It, it is, but they're not treating it like that. Right. Um, so Cody Decker and Adam... Um, I, oh my God, come on. Adam Jones yeah. uh, have also been outspoken in support of, of all of this. Uh, so Cody Decker tweeted out, I slept in my car in my stadium parking lot. I slept on floors and couches of teammates who come from money. Tony Clark told me to my face, quote, not in the cards to fix anything. It's certainly not limited to the Angels, but the fact that this is constantly ignored is a serious problem. What he's talking about with Tony Clark was the um, incorporating the minor leaguers into the, the coverage union. by the right. the Players Association. Right. So I don't know whether that's even just like unionizing everybody or at least advocating for them in part right. of their negotiations. Right. So you've got the head of the union saying, now nah, we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. Some some kind of, it has to be in the, in, in the uh, we talked about this last week again, there has to be some something written down in, not necessarily, union would be way too much, I think. Uh, MLB would never go for that, but some kind of standard set by Major League Baseball more than what is going on right now. Like Major League Baseball needs to put this down. If they can change the ball, if they can change this, you know, the, the game by starting on second base to you know help extra inning games, they can tell every Major League team this is what needs to happen for every player that you have. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that includes the guys in the complex because they're not they're getting paid. Thank God they're getting you know fed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if they're done playing ball at say five or six in the evening, get the rest of the night. Yep. I mean they don't eat like like I hate to say this. Well, they don't eat like me. But at the complex, they do have a spread. Right, and some some teams are known for having a pretty decent spread for the guys that are still at the complex. But when you have players that are they're having to come out of their own pocket to to find a hotel, and they're having to spend more than their salary for the whole month yeah. just on their living expense, that that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. It, it doesn't add up, and it, something's got to change. So I know the Astros they're paying for the housing. housing for all their players. That is a great step in the right direction. I hope that other teams follow that lead. Yeah. Of it, it, like you said, it needs to be something that comes from the MLB, the commissioner's office. That yeah. This is what we're going to do for yeah. everybody. And I'd like to see it go a step farther where in the offseason there's some kind of a stipend for food, some sort of a support for training. Right. Like at least pay for a gym membership. Right. You know, Planet Fitness is 20 bucks a month. That's, and they're all over the United States. Yeah. So at least buy the guys that so that you know that your guys can have access to go pump some iron and get strong. You know, and, and it's easy. It's like, okay, so you live in... Middle of nowhere, Illinois. Okay, so you email your guy who takes care of that. Okay, I'm at Dave's gym. Which that's a local gym here. Here's the cost. Yep. You know, they give you 40 bucks, whatever it is. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be, a, you know, a chain. You know, there's a guy, there's a dang deal right there. Have the weight rooms or have the these national chains of gyms start being partners with the MLB. Yeah, yeah. There could be and like a, a huge push for, the, for like thing. a 24-hour fitness. Sure. Yeah, we got this guy coming to play, you know, works out here, do the commercial. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's get Rob Manfred on the phone right dude, now. Right we now. got a great promotion <laughs> idea that's going to help all the minor leaguers. I'm gonna, never going to happen. It's going to come off a burner like Mike. Huh? <laughs> uh, uh, okay, move on. This so, is, so back to local stuff. Yes. The guys at Madfires do a fantastic job. Uh, and as we noted last couple of weeks, they've been out on the road yeah. talking to everybody, going out to all the affiliates. And there were a couple of really nice interview uh, interviews that came out this week. Yes, yeah, Kevin Charity from Madfires interviewed Matt Waldron, who, God, he's almost uh, every start. We get him at least one. He's in one of the strikes for the week of um, God from Fort Wayne. Now he's in double A. Yeah. So this is an article that came from uh, Madfires, uh, Kevin. Former Boston Red Sox pitcher Tim Wainfield developed the pitch in the low minors after realizing that he had almost no chance of making it to the big leagues as a first baseman in the Pirates organization. Matt Walters' knuckleball has developed into a weapon. 
The knuckleball is the type of pitch that you use on your way out. <laughs> Wakefield pitched, says Wakefield, who pitched 19 years in the big leagues, won 200 games, and is considered a Boston icon after winning two World Series titles with the formerly cursed club. Yeah, he's never buying a drink in that town again. No, ever. Um, the 24-year-old Waldron started throwing a knuckleball earlier this season after tinkering with it in practice. It started as a joke of sorts, but he threw it in the bull- in a bullpen and impressed enough that he started to use it in games. I've never really used it competitively, uh, said Waldron, after a recent start with the tin caps. I always felt like it's been something I had in my pocket, and the more I have to throw it in this year, I guess it's more refined now. Using it and learning how to compete with it has been the biggest adjustment. He was acquired by the Padres in the part of the Mike Clevenger deal. We guys know this as the player to be named Labor. Later, it's a very different, very unique, said Waldron about the trade from Cleveland. Something I've never been a part of. It just happened, and I think it's helped me a ton. It's helped me mature, and you get to make new connections while acknowledging that I've learned what I've learned from the new organization. It's a process, but it's very, but it's been very good. The knuckleball has become a pitch that has allowed him to work deeper into games. As we noted before, yeah. the it, it doesn't put as much stress on the elbow, on, on the shoulder, on, on the arm in general. So right. guys tend to be able to throw more pitches, knuckleballers. Yeah, I think the last couple of outings, he's gone seven innings, and it's been the same, said Tin Caps manager Anthony Contreras. After his outing on July 9th, he starts to feel his fingers. It's a whole transition right there. He starts to find out what these guys are trying to do at the plate, and he starts mixing in all of the other pitches. He's a smart kid, and he's learning on the fly how to utilize his knuckleball along with mixing in his fastball and slider, and he gets stronger as the game goes. I think he's starting to understand what he's trying to do as a pitcher, and I think he's understanding what these hitters are trying to do against him. So that's the whole thing. You think, okay, he's got stuff. He throws 99,000 miles an hour. But if he doesn't know how to throw it, doesn't know how to sequence, doesn't know what to do with it, you know, really, that's a big difference. That's why they call it development. Well, the same thing with knuckleballs. You can't just go up there and float knuckleball after knuckleball because you're going to walk a bunch of guys. He walked like seven guys in one outing. You yeah. know, your catcher doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You yeah, know? so you get somebody, maybe they're looking for something off speed yeah. and then instead of throwing a curveball, you throw a knuckler and it's it's a little slower and it darts to one side. And, and, and it comes in and it, it's like, it's a flat, it's like it stops. Like you see it and it stops and you're like, who? And then when you go to swing, it drops, like you said, just Dives out of the way, and you're like, you feel like an idiot. And like, you're stepping oh in a bucket. It's really like a bucket-stepping Bugs Bunny pitch. It's uh, If you ever see a real good knuckleball, it's like, holy cow, how does that work? Um, in his final three outings as a tin cap, Waldron completed seven innings twice and finished eight frames in his swan song in high A Central League, <coughs> Midwest League. At the time of his promotion, Waldron led the league in innings pitch with 72 and a third. Knowing that I'm throwing about 80% knuckles, Knuckleballs is way less taxing on the arm so I can go deeper into games and have less soreness. Without a doubt, it's helped me go longer. Waldron's evolution as a knuckleball pitcher isn't out of necessity. It's because it isn't out of necessity because of an injury or because of a lack of stuff. He isn't a soft tosser looking for a, a tricky to stay afloat. Waldron throws a fastball that sits in the low 90s and can reach 94 if needed. He throws two different knuckleballs, a harder version that touches 80 miles per hour and a slower one that has a velocity of more of a traditional knuckle. How do you 70, 75? How do you throw a knuckleball 80 miles an hour? Dude, you want want a slider, you want a curveball to go that. Like a good curveball is 80 miles an hour. Yeah. Like that's throwing a knuckle at 80. Yeah, I mean, you're not using your your elbow. You're not using all the elasticity in your arm when right. you're throwing that. It's just, you're just pushing it with your body. That's that's insane. It's whatever pitch is most effective, and it's the knuckleball. Well, I'm not going to lose my fastball velocity by doing this. 
I'm essentially going to make this pitch better as well as the other ones. It's a similar process. You don't have to change too much as far as delivery or arm action. When poor start in which he walks seven batters, there it is, uh, he has consistently been able to locate the pitch for a strike. My dad mentioned to me that when I struggle the most is when I was behind early and I didn't have any count leverage. So it would be like 2-0 and they'd know a knuckleball was coming and they'd sit on it. And I'd know uh, they'd know it was more down the middle because they knew I was trying to put it in the zone. So working ahead has helped me a lot, helped me a ton. Waldron can throw the fastball anywhere in the zone for a strike and he feels he is close to being able to do the same with both knuckleballs. That's crazy. It seems like most knuckleballers just like aim for the middle of the zone and hope that it somehow right. hits a corner. Right. That's insane. So my confidence is getting there. I would say I'm in my July 9th outing, I feel very comfortable with it, and I do think hitters get overly aggressive with it. They have a hard time telling whether it's going to be a strike or not, so that helps too. It's just working on making it more comfortable. I would imagine that watching a knuckleball come in, like when it's two-thirds of the way in, it looks like it's just floating up there. Yeah. It's like like a lollipop pitch. And yeah. it's like, okay, I'm going to crank on this thing. And then you take a step, and then it, it dives, and it ducks, and it floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. And You're, you're floating <laughs> on, your, you know, on your front foot. You're cinderella into the other batter's box. You look like an idiot. So I wonder if he's throwing the knuckleball so often because he's just he's working with it. He's trying to right. get used to it. Right. I, I can't imagine that he would actually use it 80% of the time. If he, he does have a fastball that he can yeah. command, yeah. he's got break and stuff. So I would I would think that should he ever make it up to the majors, that the mix is going to be more of a typical, what you see from a typical starting pitcher, right, right, where right. The, the secondary pitches are mixed in 20, 30, 40%. Right, right. But it's, boy, it's interesting. Dude, and it 3-2 knuckleball, what? Yeah, right? <laughs> Dude, so it's for strikes at any given time. Is That's the huge thing. That's like, that's the X factor. Well, I think that's part of what made R.A. Dickey so so dominant. Yeah. That that period of time where he was one of the best pitchers in baseball throwing a knuckleball. I think I saw somewhere that he doesn't even have a UCL. Like, he was born without the ulnar oh, collateral that's, that's right, ligament that's right, in, yeah. his, in his arm. That's what helps these guys throw 95-plus miles an hour. So instead, he became a knuckleballer. But he was yeah. able to actually command the thing a little bit. It's really interesting. Got a big contract out of that with uh, Toronto. Oh, yeah, he and did. just kind of fell off the table after, yeah. I think, the first year. The first year... It was a three-year yeah. deal, I think. Yeah, that didn't turn out too well for uh, Toronto, but well, it turned that, out pretty good for R.A. Dickey. You know, but so, so you know, it doesn't need to be a top prospect that comes up, and we've seen that. Like, these guys pop up, they develop, they come in. Right. And, Reese Kinnear just made his major league debut. Yeah. Who saw that coming? Right. And he's, you know, and he's just, and he's not even at the top of his game. You right. know what I mean? Like, he has a lot of development to do and can still make his way back up and continue to make those starts, depending on what happens this week or whatnot. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, um, it's in high, uh, double A right now. Made the made the start in Double A a couple of seasons uh, back. Ethan Elliott, not Ethan Elliott. Uh, had Tommy John. I know it's killing me. It's on the tip of my tip of my tongue. Latin guy. I don't know. Ah, anyways. <laughs> All right. So another article that came out of the Fangraphs camp. Uh, Mark Wilkins uh, wrote an article titled "Dylan Rayo's Success Is Tailor Made." Dude, this is fun. This is so. Fun. Usually, the announcement of a minor league free agent joining the Padres organization doesn't get much notice on social media. An exception to that rule occurred this May when Dylan Rayo announced his signing on Twitter, complete with a new Padres uniform he drew for himself using Microsoft Paint. And if you haven't seen the picture, he like colored in his hat brown and colored in this like crudely drawn SD. Uh, so his quote oh, is, wow. his quote is graphic design via paint. Rayo said when asked about the popular tweet, if anybody needs that, I'm your guy. And it's one of these like graphic design is my passion things. It's 
Kind of, it's kind of a meme thing. <laughs> and you've seen that with other players. Uh, I think Robert Stock did it with him yeah. in Boston. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love when guys are having fun like that. Yeah. I mean, it's his fifth organization. Okay, so the 29-year-old Rayo was drafted in the 19th round of 2013 by the Baltimore Orioles. A Central Michigan product, Rayo spent his childhood between Canada and Chicago, with his baseball career being the season he returned to the United States at age 17. Quote, it was much different, added Rayo on playing in Canada. We got on the field at the end of May, and we'd have to be off by sometime in September. I'm from the really far north. Everyone's seen Letter Kenny. It's a TV show. Uh, well, that show is shot in my hometown. So that can give you a perspective on that. Most of the people work in the mine or play hockey. <laughs> so born in Florida. No, 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 no. That's You're thinking of somebody else. We were talking about okay. that before. All right, no, all no. Right. He's, he's tried and true Canadian. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, he probably bleeds maple syrup like that. Okay, so uh, we were 12 years old, and we were really good somehow. We played in the men's league, so we're 12 playing against 18 and up, and we slaughtered every team, so the only games we could find would be four hours away. So up in the north end of Canada, everything's really spread out. It's all agricultural and mining and hockey. Uh, right. Everyone <laughs> plays hockey. Yeah. So here he's 12 years old, lighten up, grown men. That's a pretty good way to, to temper yourself at a young age. <laughs> I, tear my, I tear some 12-year-olds up. I tell you right, right now. Ew. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> We're kidding. We're kidding, censors. Okay. So the six foot nine Rayo's minor league career has been defined by injuries and stints in independent ball. He spent the 2016 season in the American Association before joining the San Francisco Giants organization, then landed the, in the Atlantic League in 2019. In 2020, Rayo reported to Red Spring Training, but when affiliated ball was shut down, he found himself back in the American Association. Yeah. Quote, every organization's different, and there's always a way to keep going. You've just got to adapt. It's that desire to adapt and improve that had Dylan excited to join the Padres organization, who he praised for their embrace of data and advanced stats. I kind of like the new age stuff, data-driven stuff, because I know that's where the game's going, said Rayo, and I know the Padres have been good at that, so it just seemed like a really good fit. And I find that interesting, that you know, we think of the Padres being this scouting-heavy organization, right, right. and we do have a little bit of concern when a player comes in, and it's like, what are they really doing to try to optimize this guy's game? Do they have the tools and the know-how to do that? Um, and this is a little bit of evidence that, yeah, there really is something there, that the yeah. Padres are doing... The kind of things that we see the Cubs or the, you know, some of these other organizations do. The, the data's there. Yeah. You just got to put it into practice. Yeah. Right. So they are using that kind of stuff. Uh, so, quote, when I was with the Orioles in 2015, I was averaging 87 miles an hour on my fastball with below average off speed. Then I spent some time working with a couple of facilities and saw my velo increase up to 94. It's been as high as 99. And then I developed two metrically plus off speed pitches. So I went from minus, minus, minus three pitches to three plus pitches in theory. So he's having a great season right now. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting article. And when I hear somebody oh, that has that kind of a, of a diverse background from an un, not a lot of ballplayers come out of Canada, especially the far north reaches of Canada. Yeah. Um, and then the way that he's bounced around from one organization yeah. to another and then having to play an international league in between. Yeah. It's that's the kind of thing that makes me just want to pull for the guy that maybe he's going to pull an Aaron Northcraft and yeah. and. Find a way to make his way out of a major league roster and cut that check one day. You know, and, and it goes like these guys, it takes time for them to, them to go to their bodies. It also says a lot for these organizations like like Driveline where they, you, you go there and then they put you here. And when you come out, you're here. Right. And it's not... It's not muscle building. It's technique. It's strengthening other areas. It's not. It's just. I don't know what they do really, but you know the, how they pull that performance out of these players. Right. Yeah. So it's. I think it's telling that the Reds, like when Kyle Body, who Body, started yeah. Deadline, a uh, driveline, 
announced that I want to find a career working for a major league team, teams were falling over each other yeah. trying to hire him. And yeah. the Reds finally did hire him uh, because he's got that secret sauce of you know how to improve a player both from a, a metric standpoint, a pitch quality standpoint, and also from a, a, a biology, physiology standpoint. Right. So how to make somebody's body more resistant to injury in theory. Absolutely. Well, that's all we got for that. Uh, coming up right now, we are we're going to talk to uh, Joe Alexander. He uh, he has two ten game day uh, in San Antonio. He, if you guys, we've told you guys to follow him. So he tweets and goes to just about every game that the missions have. So we're about ready to talk to him in a minute, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. We're joined now with Joe Alexander from 210 Game Day. Joe, dude, you tweet every game, every inning. Uh, we love it because we love the content. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. So we just found you this year, but how long have you been reporting on the missions? Um, this is going to sound kind of strange. I started covering minor league baseball in San Antonio in 1981. Wow. Just and then- after Tony Gwynn left. Uh, well, they were with the Dodgers then. Okay, all right. So all right. I saw a lot of the Dodgers come players come up. Uh, Miss Fernando Valenzuela by one year. He was the summer of 1980. Ah. Just, uh, I, what it was is uh, I graduated from high school in the summer of 1980, and then that fall went to college here locally and started working part-time for a local newspaper called the San Antonio Light that no longer exists. And uh, – you know, did a few missions games here and there. They didn't have a regular beat writer. They kind of spread it around. And I, that first summer of 81, I probably did like three or four games. And, but covered games here and there with the Dodgers over the years. And then basically stopped in about 1995. And what happened was that first paper I was at, the old San Antonio Light closed in the, in, I believe, January of 93. The surviving San Antonio paper was the Express News. And I was kind of fortunate, and the Express News took three of the people from the light sports department and picked us up, and I was one of those three. Oh, nice. And then, so I was working as a sports writer there from 93 till the end of the summer of 95. And then uh, one day I was sitting in the sports department, and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, we've got the perfect job for you. And I said, what's that? He says, well, we need a sports editor for our new website. And me being the hip guy I was, I said, well, what's a website? Because <laughs> it, it was 1995 and I didn't know. And uh, so this guy shows goes goes to his computer. He, he's like the only guy on the whole floor who's hooked up the Internet. Right. And he shows me a website. It's like a headline and text. But I look at it and I go, I don't know how to do that. And he says, don't worry. Nobody else does either. <laughs> so he introduces me to the boss of the website. And he says to me, he says, I think sports is going to be very important on the web. I hate sports. If you take this job, I expect you to take care of it. I said, okay. So by this time, I've been a sports writer in San Antonio for 15 years. They just wanted somebody who knew San Antonio. So I go to the bookstore and buy HTML for dummies. <laughs> and two weeks later, I was working on a website. Yeah, what? That's how, I, that's how I got my start. So this is a paper man, right? That Or a website guy that, that hates sports? Like he hated sports? He was uh, he was uh, like a, a city editor type, one of the okay. smartest people I've ever met. A little bit of a mad scientist type. Okay. Not I. Uh, I don't mean to sound negative about him. Let's just say he wasn't the most organized person right. I've ever been around. Most genius. But are. Lot, 
lot, lot of great, great ideas. Absolutely brilliant guy, fun to be around. And the thing where he said, I expect you to take care of sports and just deal with it was kind of fine with me. And I'd done a little bit of everything sent to me. I covered high school sports. I covered local colleges. Uh, another thing that'll date me, I actually covered the Houston Oilers for a little while. Um, and of course, anybody who plays baseball now is too young to even remember the Houston Oilers, but you know, I, <laughs> I love the Houston Oilers. That what was the, uh, the Derek, the yeah. Derek on the side of the I remember that big comeback. Yeah, the old they Derek and the, and the Columbia Blue. The, uh, yeah. the, the Buffalo Bills, right? In the, in the playoffs that one well, year. They were down by like four happened, points. Basically, there was like two years in a row where they just bombed out of a, a playoff game. And those were the two years that I covered them. Uh, the year before that, they were, cover, uh, they were playing uh, the Broncos up in Denver. This would have been like January 92 after the 91 season. And... Uh, if I remember the details right, it's like the Oilers had a lead, not a big lead, but I think they punted the ball with about a, a two-point lead, and the Broncos and John Elway took over with like like a minute left. Right, 10 and seconds on the clock. Nine, yeah, like 97 yards away, and they go down and kick a field goal with like 13 seconds left and win. And then the year after that was the Buffalo game that everybody remember where the Oilers had like a big lead and uh, kind of imploded. And then <laughs> – <laughs> okay, so then you you started running the the newspaper's uh, sports page. Uh, was that in '95? You said uh, the website. It was right when football season started in 1995 that we put the staff together, and uh, it it was like it was almost like we didn't promote it. It was almost like an underground website for like the first three months because we didn't know what we were doing. So we didn't even tell anybody but we had a website. There's just like three of three or four of us just building this thing. And then we became official on January 1st of 96. That's when they started promoting it, telling everybody, hey, come see our website. Oh, man. Wow. Well, you know, I, 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 that's a great story. So, so then you continued to work for another 20 years um, in San Antonio media, right? Up until I left in the uh, end of the summer of 2013. I actually left here, or my last day at the paper was the first Friday night of high school football season, which high school football Friday nights in Texas are just a monumental thing. And it was weird because I'd been doing high school football Friday nights since 1980. So 24 years. And I remember the last night, because I would get done after everybody else, my last night after 33 years in the newspaper business, I got up from my desk and was going to look around and say goodbye to everybody. Everybody else is gone. It's two in the morning. I'm the only one in the whole building. So I just... I took my ID, left it on my boss's desk, and walked out and said goodnight to the security guard, and that's how my career ended. Huh. Oh. Huh. Wow. Okay, so now you're retired, and you run 210gameday.com uh, as a, a one-stop sports shop out of San Antonio. Yeah, it's basically just my, my photo blog. I do uh, missions baseball. I do UTSA baseball. And a friend of mine covers UTSA basketball, so I put my leftover – UTSA basketball photos on there. That that gives me enough to keep me busy, right. you know, through most of the year. Hey, I watch minor league baseball all night. God, that's that's that sounds like heaven, man. Well, as yeah. as minor league fans, we have we have the local sports media and we have Mad Friars to follow. Um, and and in San Antonio, there are so many people in San Antonio. But it's surprising the the lack of coverage that we see from the media outlets there. Right. So we're grateful that we've we've got you to give us some some live updates as things are going along and your own perspective on what you're seeing. 
Well, it's been fun for me, but I mainly at this point think of myself as a photographer and, uh, you know, the, the tweeting on the games and writing a little bit about the games afterwards, I think I just kind of do it because I kind of feel like there's a void there. And I try to try to fill it in a little bit, but I don't consider the writing I do now to be real writing in the sense of what I did when I was covering teams as a beat writer, you know, like 20 years ago. Okay. So I've read, I read a couple of your articles and it's head and shoulders above any of the blog stuff. I mean, obviously the, you know, the, yeah, the, the blog stuff that I've seen from other teams and uh, the Padres, um, it, it's fantastic. But I, so, so let's start talking about baseball. So, okay. we, so we missed last year, last year, there was no minor league baseball in, in Texas. Uh, and before we got started on the call here, um, you were telling us a little bit about what was going on with the collegiate leagues. Um, so can you give us a little bit of an idea of, of what collegiate baseball was like last year? Yeah. So what happened with there's a collegiate league that's been around for a while called the, the Texas Collegiate League. And uh, until last year, I'd never heard of it. But what happened was a couple of the uh, minor league teams that didn't have any had a stadium and nobody put in it uh, decided, hey, for this summer, we'll become a part of the league. And the league was glad to have some more teams and teams playing in good stadiums and yeah. run by professional agents. So like the Amarillo baseball team actually hosted two college teams so they could alternate who was at home and fill up dates all the time. Uh, the missions did one. And one of the good things about it, and in kind of an ironic way, because the college baseball season got canceled about a month into the season, there was no college baseball conference tournaments. There was no NCAA tournament. There's no college World Series. So there were some really good college baseball players sitting around with nothing to do. So the the San Antonio team, the San Antonio, the Flying Chunklets de San Antonio, <laughs> to get it correct, they were getting players from A&M, from Mississippi State from Arkansas. Wow. And plus some of the better, some pretty good players from the local schools. And, uh, and it was like that all over the league. There was, there was a lot of really good college players. So I think the level of talent was, was higher last year than it had ever been before and probably a little higher this year just because there were so many college players just looking for a place to play a little bit. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. You said the Flying Chanclas. Are there two Flying Chanclas teams in San Antonio? Yes, there are, and it, it tends to cause a little bit of confusion here and there. What happened is the missions on their Thursday home games wear their Flying Chonklas uniforms, and that's kind of how the Flying Chonklas got started. So many teams have an alternate name or alternate personality, and the missions started doing that, I think it was about five years ago. And it was interesting for me, not having grown up in a Hispanic household, and my family's basically from up north, and we moved here when I was in middle school, the whole flying chanclas thing, I I had never heard the name word chancla until we moved to Texas. And I was like, is that going to grab anybody? And that first season they did, I remember they said they made T-shirts and baseball caps. And the <laughs> that they made sold out in like a month. Oh, yeah. And they're oh, like, yeah. oh, my God, this was supposed to last us the whole season. So all of a sudden it did better than yeah. anybody expected there. So it really it really clicked with a, a big part of the, the community here. You know, and on a side note, so we have a Comic-Con here uh, once a year, and back when the that first year they had the Flying Chonklas, there was a guy that was a Flying Chonkla. Like he brought, he was all, all had all kinds of makeup on, but he had a Chonkla, and it was like, he was the guy, that was his guy, that was him. 
So uh, obviously yeah. San Diego is a border town. We have a huge Latino community. And so when the Flying Chonclas name came out, just, that's something that everybody here just loved. Perfect. And so since the, the missions were the AA affiliate of the Padres at the time and the Chonclas were connected to us, that whole thing took off here as well. But so, okay, so the Chonclas are the Thursday night uh, nickname for the missions, but there's also Correct. a collegiate Woodbat League that's also the Chonclas. Correct. So if you listeners out there, if you see a, a flying chonclas lineup and you don't recognize one single name, more than likely that's going to be the, the, the college yeah. league, the collegiate team. Yeah. Well, that's, right. that's pretty neat what they did last year yeah. uh, because it, it gave people jobs. Yeah. It got the ballpark open. You have concessions. You have you, – because there are a lot of people that were out of work. The whole economy really around that, yeah. Yeah, so that's nice that they were able to do that in, in Texas where things were a little bit more, uh, more, more loose than some other states. Okay, so let's right. get back to, to missions baseball. Well, you know, well the, the funny thing is, now now you know we're talking about all this stuff back in the day. My first question is about the a guy from back in the day, Joe Bible. How fun is it watching an old guy blow away these young kids in Double A with Joe Bible? You know, it's funny that I don't know if you've seen pictures of him how he looks now. It's like the first game he was here, I saw him, and I'm like, the most interesting man in the world came back to pitch for the mission. It's good. That's what he looks like he, with a cap on. He really does. And I'm like, you know, and, and you see him and, and he's like, okay, he's older than everybody else. It's like, you look at him, it's like, yes, he's definitely older than everybody else. And, and you figure, you know, he made his major league debut before, I think, I haven't looked this up, but I think before some of the current missions played, I mean, we're born. Right. right. So he's got the long hair, but he also has kind of a straggly beard and there's the silver streaks <laughs> in the beard that you don't see on, hair, on major yeah. league players a whole lot. So yeah, I pulled and, up and, Joe Bymill's stats. He made his debut in 2001 with the Pittsburgh Pirates at age 24. And I believe there may be major leaguers out there that were born in 2001. Yeah. So there's, there's certainly, you know, that's 20. You know, somebody who was born the year he was playing would be probably a year or two younger than the average mission. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's old enough. He's, he's literally no joke old enough to be their dad. And he's holding his own there, Yeah. What's that? And he's holding his own there, yeah. He's most of the time he's looked pretty good. He's had a couple of rough games, but uh, he's had some games. You know, he's I think he's got a couple of saves, and most of the time he's looked pretty good. And uh, it was interesting. He's got kind of he's left-handed and has kind of a different stance where he kind of has his his shoulder towards first base and kind of looks over his right shoulder when he's setting up and has like the ball behind his his uh, left hip and he has a unique style to him too. I pulled up his uh, his stats here. He's holding opposing batters to a 154 batting average. So he's doing something right. He's given up a home run. Yeah. Uh, he's only pitched 11 innings. So it's kind of hard to look at rate stats at that point. But you know, he's, he knows how to get guys out. Yeah. It's just a matter of if his body lets him do what he wants to do, I guess. So good for him. Yeah. It's a great story to follow. Yeah. All right, so on the other end of the spectrum, um, C.J. Abrams was having a fantastic year before he collided with Eggy Rosario uh, and injured his knee. Uh, But how special is he watching him play? Well, a couple things. He he was hitting for average, and he's still young and a little on the skinny. He almost looked like a high jumper. You figure he's a guy who's probably going to add, you know, five pounds of muscle every year for the next five years. So even if he doesn't have home run numbers now, you feel like he will over time. And the other thing is just the way he runs. I remember one time he's playing shortstop and there's, you know, there's a foul ball along the fit, along the uh, rail on the, on the uh, left hand side. And he just like, doesn't just run by everybody. He just like smokes everybody getting to the ball. I mean, he just, 
he just covers ground. I mean, like he's a guy who you look at it's if you didn't know who he was and I told you, yeah, he's an Olympic hurdler. You go, oh right. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, that's why we looked at him and, and people were going, well, you know, with what the Padres have, you know, up the middle on defense, you know, is he, you know, where does he go? Does he take? But I'm like, you know, I'm looking at that guy going, you could put him at center field yeah. and he could cover a lot of ground. And so he can hit for percentage. His his power, I think, undoubtedly will keep going up over the years. Yeah. He's got a good glove. He's got a good arm. And he just – and when he runs fast, he looks smooth. You know, it's like some guys are running and it's like they're almost like in a death march where he's running. And, he, you know, he looks like he looks like he's not trying and he's going faster than everybody. Yeah, we had Travis Jankowski out here uh, patrolling center field for a while. And he was one of those guys that when he got up to speed going after a ball, he would cover yeah. so much ground yeah. and it just looks so smooth. So the, 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 the criticism on Abrams, like the year after he was drafted, was his actions at, center f- at, second, at shortstop, uh, his throws from different angles and all this. And the consensus seemed to be that he's going to move off. Center field seems like a likely spot given his size and his speed. But now, after another year of development, people seem to love his, his ability to stick a shortstop. But, I mean, you know, the Padres... So I seem to remember them having a guy there. Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of that. There was kind of the same thing as like, you know, in San Antonio, they had CJ at short and Aggie Rosario at second. And, you know, like, well, you know, where do those guys go? And, uh, you know, until recently you had Marcano up in uh, AAA and you start looking at places to put people, you know, where does everybody go? You got so many people to go at second base, shortstop, center field, maybe third base. You know, even, uh, you know, Machado's got some time left on his contract, but he didn't opt out. You know, we were thinking like Eggy Rosario, I think his favorite position shortstop, but he plays second. And I had read that he came up or at some point was listed as a third baseman. Wonder if Eggy, even though he's not very tall, he might end up at third. But, you know, Machado's probably going to be there for a while. So that's kind of the thing. Where do you, where do you put people, you know? Absolutely. So, you know, that's since, since the injury to CJ – Eggie just stepped right into the role at shortstop and he seems to be yeah. taken off to there as well. That seems, you know, just watching him, that seems to be where he feels the best. Again, the same problem, you know, where, where does he go in San Diego? If he goes up, you know, you always wonder, you see these guys who are really talented in places where there's a log jam, you know, they end up, do they go up? Do they change positions? Do they get traded for pitching? Yeah. You know, cause it, it, that's the one thing. It seems like everybody, I guess if there's a surprise about the trade yesterday is everybody's sitting here thinking, okay, the Padres is going to go look for pitching. You know, will we, will we lose somebody when the Padres trade for a pitcher? And all of a sudden, okay, there's a log jam in, in the infield. Oh, they just got another infielder who I guess can play outfield too. But, you know, that was – I think that was the part of the trade that – I don't think anybody was surprised that the Padres made a trade. The trade that they made maybe wasn't quite what we were expecting. Although I guess if you get the guy who you can hit that much, you go ahead and get him. Yeah, yeah, you find you find <clears> a place <throat> for that guy to play. Yeah, yeah, but that's something that we said when we opened up our podcast. We're talking about that trade was that all three of the guys that that left, they may have a bright future somewhere, but there really wasn't a place to put them in San Diego. So Jack Sawinski, it, we've we've spoken to him on the podcast as we were saying we've got to know his family and all that stuff. We, you know, he was one of our favorite guys in the system, and now he's traded away. Uh, but you've had a chance to watch him for a whole half of a season. Uh, what were your impressions of watching him play every day? 
Yeah, I think maybe in the outfield he got overlooked because most of the time he was in right field. And But the missions, they've had some guys in the outfield this season that could just like collectively just run like crazy. Jack runs really well. Uh, Jose Azucar has been in center field most of the time. Uh, Jack's been in right most of the season, been in center field a little bit. Uh, they had his story released for a while before he got hurt. He just came back last night. Uh, they opened the season with, with uh, Roddy Podorski also. So you they had like four outfielders who legitimately all covered a lot of ground. And uh, it's interesting that it, that it seems like uh, a couple days ago, maybe Saturday night, Taylor Colway, who'd been with San Antonio, was in El Paso at AAA playing in center field. And he was at best the fifth fastest outfielder who's been in San Antonio this year. And he's in center field in AAA. And then, uh, uh, but uh, Roddy Podorski, who was the opening day uh, either center fielder or right fielder, I think he's the opening day right fielder for the missions, he can run. So th- they had like four guys who could just fly, you know, when the season starts. You know, that's one of the, that's kind of when, when they traded, when they, uh, when they drafted CJ Abrams, we, uh, we wanted to see a race between him and Robbie Podorsky. Because we've seen Podorsky. That guy runs like a gazelle. Mm-hmm. Um, he can know, run, yeah. Who, who's faster, C.J. Abrams or Robbie Podorsky? And then Xavier Edwards was in that yeah, mix, right. too. X, X was you, got, in there. you got three guys with an 80 grade on their run, their run skill. Uh, so off the map here, so how does the ballpark there in San Antonio play? Does the outfield feel big? Is there is there an advantage on having that much athleticism out there in the outfield? It it doesn't look big, but there's typically a breeze coming in, either more or less straight in or else coming in from left field. So it's never been a home run park other than uh, two years ago when they were in AAA and they were using the AAA ball. We saw more home runs than we'd ever seen. <laughs> oh, I imagine. And, you know, that season two years ago, it's like everybody, you know, it, it was like they took a Super Bowl and put a leather cover yeah. on it. Yeah. And there was just home runs all over the place. And I think the missions – Record for home runs in a season went up by like 50% or just something, something just goofy. I mean, it just, you know, it, it's like they went from playing baseball to video games or something, you know. And this year it's kind of back down. If you look, uh, Jack up to this week was, you know, the day he got traded, he was leading the team with 15. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you'd think, you know, it's the end of July, he's the only guy with more than 10 home runs. Uh, yeah, Rosario's second with nine. That's, so that's it's, point. It, doesn't, it doesn't play like a home run park at all. So with that wind blowing in, I bet the outfielders have some crazy like diving line drives right. or balls taking a weird the ball catches some spin and takes off on them. That's got to be a little tricky out there. Yeah, yeah. One of the places you see it's tricky is left field. The uh, outfield right at the pole kind of comes in and it's short there. And the other thing is it's visually kind of weird. So every every home run that goes right down the line, the fairer foul ball call, it seems like it's a fifty fifty. Yeah, and I'll be like down the first baseline. I'm like, I have no idea if that's fair. And it's, no matter what the umpire calls, as second he calls it, you see one team or the other just start screaming every time there's a, a home run down the left field foul pole. And it just it's like, and it's like, you know, like, don't even try to, you know, just flip a coin. And but but you'll see the ball will be like inside the foul pole, and it'll curl behind it, and it'll land like what looks like 10, 15 feet foul, and it's a fair ball, or at least get called fair. Because wow. the wind, because it, you know, it has that spin and then the wind kind of adds to it. And it, you know, it looks like some of those college uh, field goal attempts you see on the windy days where the, the punter just kind of, you know, you see it just going towards the post and just zoom 
and you know <laughs> and then one dugout is mad <laughs> yeah, yeah I, there were there was one of those a couple of days ago and, and somebody asked me if i thought it was, i'm like i'm down the, you know i was down the first baseline i have no idea i'm not even going to try to guess it's like but it's like you need to have a camera good. pointing straight up from the bottom of the pole to really make a legit call yeah and i think i don't know you know, the pole needs to be like 20 feet higher because there's a couple times a year that, you know, it goes over it and it's like everybody's like exactly 50-50 split on whether or not it's a home run or not. Yeah. So, Jack Sawinski, my, I got a question in here about how disappointed you are to see Jack go, but it sounds like they've had so many good outfielders out there this year that the missions kind of aren't going to miss a beat with, with his departure. Right. Uh, is that, do you think that's fair to say? Um. It helps that uh, Estorio Ruiz came back last night. Yeah. You know, he'd, he'd broken his hand. They don't tell us anything about injuries. So I know that, you know, while he was gone, he had like half his, half his right hand and his, his pinky finger and the finger next to it all wrapped up. So it's generally knew where the injury was. You know, and it's like I had somebody ask me, can you give me an injury report? And I sent him a picture of his hand. And I was like, that's all I got. But uh, he's back. And, I mean, they've got enough guys, but, you know, you lost your home run leader by a pretty good distance and jack was good out there he covered a lot of ground he had a pretty good arm or obviously he wouldn't be in right field without a pretty good arm so you lose a little but at least that's a place where they had some depth and uh you know they were kind of at the point where they had three once the story Ruiz came back they had three left fielders and trying to figure out what to do with all of them so one of the one of the guys will get uh jack spot out and right jose azacar is settled in at center field and then uh let's see you got Duane, uh, William Sutton. Um, trying to think who else we got. Let me take a peek at my roster yeah, here. I, real I quick. Have, uh, Alan I Cordoba. I know, I know it's cheating to look, but I got to look, right? <laughs> oh, hey, no, we, we're, we're doing the <laughs> same thing. Uh, ben, ben Ruda, who yeah. had come down from AAA, yeah. is another guy. Um, you might see Michael Curry. Back down. I see Podorski's active again, so he might. Uh, they might send him back down from uh, from AAA yeah. if there's an opening. Yeah, he's he's been getting some hits up there too. I don't think he hits many home runs. But he, he puts the ball in play. Yeah, and Michael Curry's the other one. Michael Curry was had kind of been like the extra guy where he'd, you know, the days that, like maybe one once a week Jack would get a game off and Curry there. So you've got basically three outfielders to play, you know, left and right field. So is at least as far as having guys there, that's not a problem. Uh, I noticed on milb.com they also list uh, Alan Cordoba as an outfielder. And he may have been five years ago. Right, he's a third base. It's like they, they like they list him. I think on his bio they list him at like six one one seventy five. I'm going to say he's like six two two twenty. He's like a he's yeah. a big guy. Yeah, he's, big he, he's got big shoulders. He's yeah. Playing at third base yeah. and he looks like what you think a third baseman should look like, or. So, no, Except I, for the fact that he's right-handed, like a first baseman, yeah, he's a big old guy. So you know, I, I know, I know you don't. They don't give you a lot of information, and a lot of not a lot of information is given out. But today, Jose Azucar was put on the temporary inactive list. Do Correct. You have any idea? Was it? Any, do you have any uh, any idea, rumblings, of what that could have been? No. Um, you know, when I tweeted that first, I saw that, and I checked on Twitter to see if there's anything about him, and there was nothing. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was going through the roster just to get ready to talk to you guys tonight. And that's when I saw it. And that's when I tweeted it. So, you know, I might just now be figuring that out if I hadn't, hadn't been getting ready to talk to you. <laughs> and I'm looking at this, I'm like, and I'm going through and I'm like, wait, temporary and active list. And yeah, I haven't seen that. I still haven't seen anything on it. You know, I tweeted and I haven't seen another word about it. Interesting. 
So, Dwayne Williams Sutton, you mentioned that name, and one of my favorite things to watch is how many times he's been hit by a pitch. Uh, does he go up there with just armor covering his entire left side now? Uh, not more, not any more than anybody else does. You know, when I started covering, obviously it was like the guy with the guy with a pad on was like fairly rare. And I guess, uh, you know, once Barry Bonds did it, they're like, well, if Barry Bonds can do it, then maybe it's okay for the rest of us. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, when I started, nobody wore those pads or anything. Well, this year in 34 games, he's only been hit by a pitch six times. But in 2019 in Fort Wayne, in 30, in 95 games, he was hit 32 times. The guy's just got a knack for for. I, I, he's I, a magnet. I can't imagine that he's sticking <laughs> his elbow out into the into the zone, but he must crowd the zone like nobody's business. He is a big, big dude. Yeah, he, he's actually uh, smaller than Cordova is. No Cordova is the big guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like I said, that's why sometimes I surprise a list for him. Like, okay, that's how big this guy was when he signed when he was sixteen. You know, it's like. Uh, Eggy Rosario, I think they list him at 150 pounds and 5'9". Well, he may be 5'9". He's not tall, but he looks like like a small college running back. You know, he's like 5'9". He's like, he's like 185, 190. You know? cut. He's yeah, built he's a fullback. And he's got the, he's, he's got uh, the pop, too. Tank. Yeah, he's built a lot like a guy who was here two years ago when we were the AAA team from the Brewers, a guy uh, named Troy Stokes, who was built very similarly. He was actually an outfielder. But those guys are built pretty much the same. Interesting. Hey, so so Juan Fernandez, uh, the backstop there is uh, is is he bat first guy or is he a glove first guy? Um, you know what? He's experienced. I I don't look at him and see a guy who who looks like he's destined for the majors, and that's true of, of both catchers here. They're both to me. They're both like okay double A catchers. Um, he's. Juan is the better – he's a better hitter than Chandler. He's got five home runs, and uh, he's had a, probably at least five or six more caught right up against the warning track at, at home games. So, I mean, I could – you know, if he was in AAA two years ago with that AAA ball here, he'd, he'd have be, a dozen home runs. He'd be a major leaguer. <laughs> yeah, but then somebody else on the yeah. team would have 45 by Right, now. right, right. Yeah, but, uh, you know, like I say, he's – it seems like they steal on him a lot. Um, he has some balls get away from behind the plate. Um, Chandler seems like he's a little better at throwing guys out, but he's barely hitting 200. Yeah. So, you know, I think I look at Juan and say he's kind of an average double A catcher. So unless he starts hitting a lot of home runs, I, I just he doesn't strike me as being a major league catcher. Yeah, I got the numbers up here. Juan Fernandez has given up 44 stolen bases this year, and he's only caught six guys for a 12 percent caught stealing rate. Oof. Chandler Siegel, the other catcher yeah. on the roster there, uh, he's 18 and 18. So 18 stolen bases, okay. 18 caught stealing. So 50% is is spectacular. That's something else yeah. is off. That means he's just catching guys that have no business trying to run on him. Uh, but, but that definitely says something about Fernandez. When I saw Juan Fernandez in Fort Wayne a couple years ago, what stood out to me was his interactions in the bullpen, um, catching you know catching bullpens in the dugout um you just the the way that he interacted with the other players on the team he kind of seemed to be one of those glue guys that held everybody together always joking around with people keeping things light yeah he still sees that i remember uh i went down the missions open the season in corpus christi and i went down there for the first three games uh it seemed like a good way since they were open the season and since the stadium's about a five minute drive from the beach uh see if i can good place to start season and you could just from the first game it was uh opening night and Reese Kinnair was pitching 
and seeing them warm up and not having seen anybody on this team before, you know, you could tell that they got along well. And, uh, you know, it, what the way you described him is kind of how he looked, you know, since opening day. That's excellent. So let's get into the pitching. We talked about the catchers. Well, yeah, here's a guy that we often overlook all the time. And he's one of those sneaky guys that you don't think of when you think of double A, but Kyle Overstreet. They have him listed uh, as a catcher. I don't think he's caught in about three years now, but. Uh, I think he actually got caught, got in part of a game, which was, I think it's fair to say, probably not what the plan was. Um, there was a stretch about a week ago, and nobody told me what happened, but uh, late in the game, it was Thursday, like a week and a half ago, Thursday before last, late in the game. Juan Fernandez came out of a game with about an inning left and didn't play again for like six, didn't play again until like Tuesday this past week. Oh, wow. Uh, so don't know what exactly happened as you kind of figured out. We don't really hear anything along those lines, but I think uh, Overstreet went in and caught an inning or two. And like I said, I'm, I think we can all safely guess that wasn't the plan. Um, <laughs> I've seen him, you know, I usually, uh, the home games on the weekday home games, I usually go out Tuesday through Friday and watch batting practice and infield and stuff. And I'd seen Overstreet work at catcher once this season yeah. in practice. And I said, I don't see him practice when it's Saturday and Sunday home games. And I don't see him on the road, but I think that probably gives you an idea of how much or how little he's practiced at catcher. He's played at first base. He's played at third, mainly at first base. Um, his batting average is okay. It seemed like he had a stretch early in the season where he, had, where he was hitting a lot of line drives, hitting some doubles. Yeah. But I look, I look at him as saying, not really a catcher. You know, he's not tall for a first baseman. Maybe not necessarily a great third baseman. I think to move up, he's got to hit some home runs. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, absolutely, makes I'm sense. looking at his at his background. When he was in in college, uh, he he went to Alabama. Um, he also played in some collegiate. He played in the Cape Cod League for two summers, and he was always uh, third base, second base, a little bit of shortstop. Uh, he even pitched a couple shortstop? times. He's filled out though since then. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I was say, he, yeah, I can say if you see him now, he he doesn't look like a shortstop. No, he's I very remember, wide. Uh, but it, yeah, it, one, one time that one time is like one of the first few times I saw saw him. I'm still kind of getting used to seeing figuring out who everybody is in practice when he didn't have numbers on yet. And at some point, I'm like, I think that's him. Then he pulled up his shirt. I'm like, oh yeah, that's him. All right. Yeah, no, he's got he's got shoulders out to here. Uh, the Padres, when they drafted him, it seems like the plan was to convert him to catcher, uh, and then that just didn't stick. And so then he moved back to first base. And then lately, they've been moving him. They've been using him at third base a little bit, probably out of necessity more than anything. Right. Yeah, and uh, he played some at third, and for a while, Olivier Basabi was kind of third baseman. And then once uh, Alan Cordoba got here. Cordova kind of became the man at third base. So Olivier Basabe, it seems like he is the position player pitcher of choice in the in the organization this year. It uh, looks like he's made two appearances on the mound uh, with the missions, and I believe he made a couple appearances with the uh, with the uh, the tin caps before coming up. Yeah, I, I remember one point we had a game where we figured it was going to be a position player, and we we were told he was the guy. And it, I seem to remember. I don't think he's given up a run. So. Oh. So he's a quality, quality mop-up guy. Yeah, maybe he's got a second yeah. career in waiting. Yeah, his he has a zero career ERA. So there's a couple well, guys. There that, you go. So a couple guys have come up recently that uh, that seem to come out of nowhere, and that's uh, Matt Waldron and Ethan Elliott. Uh, Elliott pitched last night. I, I caught a little bit of that. So what have you seen? I know it's been a really small sample size with both these guys, but what have you seen from Ethan Elliott? 
Okay, he was like his first game here. He was like not not if you look at the numbers, not good, not bad. Uh, he didn't look too bad. I always figure, you know, the first game when you come up, you wonder. I kind of assume that just, no matter what you do, your second game will be better after you come up because it's all you know. I always figure like the first game. You know, the poor guy's just trying to figure out where the men's room is. You know, you want to give him a, a day or two to kind of get in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he, he didn't look, he didn't look dominating, but he didn't look, you know, it wasn't like he just got, got totally beat up or anything. So, um, and Waldron's the other one. He, the game he came up was unfortunately the only home game I missed this year. I kind of had something come up there. Uh, I could, it's a boring story. I can tell you if you want, but it's not very exciting, but, uh, Anyway, that was that was the his game. I actually wanted to see him, but that was the one game I ended up missing this year so far. Probably be the only game I missed all summer. Uh, I, I pulled up Basabe's information. He hasn't given up a base runner yet. There we go. Okay, so yeah. he's got three. So, so guy, and zero whip. So a guy who's basically not even a starter in the infield right now. He's kind of the you know utility guy. That's <laughs> but you know they've used him. He was kind of the third baseman for about a month, and then since then they kind of stick him at second base once in a while or. One game they put him at third and put uh, Cordoba at first, but he's he's kind of the leftover infielder right now. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's kind of what happens to some of these guys. Yeah, we as a minor league baseball podcast, we we kind of find we find these patterns, um, and so the guys that are at the end of the roster that didn't sign for a big bonus, weren't drafted high. They're the ones that wind up, okay, well, that guy has pitched, he's pit, he pitched last night, he's not feeling 100%, so you go in there, I don't care if your arm's hanging, falling off, right. we need three innings from you right now. Or you've never played left field in your life, but you're going to go out there and make the start tonight because our regular left fielder's out, and Olivier Basave seems like one of those guys right now for the Padres. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, I mean, the great thing is he can play third base, he can play second base. I suspect that in an emergency he could play shortstop, uh, you know, and he's kind of average size. They list him at 5'11". Uh, he looks small when he stands next to Cordoba, but when he's not next to Cordoba, he looks like a regular guy, you know. Um, so, he, you know, he's a good guy to have in the team, but he's, you know, he's not one of the guys who's locked into, uh, you know, one of the main spots right now. Um, Kelvin Melion came up recently. He's been playing second a lot. We kind of wonder if, you know, we'll see how he does hitting wise if he gets in the groove. He hasn't really done a lot of hitting yet. That if he doesn't, at some point, Pasavi might end up back at second base. I don't know. Kind of, I'm just kind of guessing at that. But all right, so let's finish up with everyone's favorite named player, Henry Henry H squared, um, scrappy young skinny kid. Uh, he's been doing pretty well lately. Yeah, and he's tall, and I suspect he's not as skinny as he used to be. He's still, I mean, he's not bulky. But it looks, you know, it looks like he's got some some muscle. It looks like a pitcher now, and I had heard that he'd been pretty skinny. And uh, but uh, you look at him; he looks like a guy physically. And when you watch him out there, he looks like a guy that, regardless of what his numbers are, that you think this guy's going to be a major league pitcher. He just kind of has that look, you know. And uh, I, I don't think I've really been looking. I don't tend to watch the the radar very much. But usually when I look at the radar, it's like on a breaking pitch or something to see if a pitch is in the 70s or something. So I normally don't look when somebody throws a fastball. So I don't know how fast he's throwing. But to me, he just looks like a major league pitcher. You know, and he's, you know, he's getting on like a whip. He can throw it. He's got a fastball. And most of the time, he's looked pretty good out there. Yeah, big fan of him. 
Nice. Well, oftentimes we uh, we finish our interviews with a lightning round, and I'm going to catch you out uh, on your flat-footed with <laughs> one question for you: In and Out or Whataburger? Um, yeah, I grew up here, so I guess I'd say a Whataburger. But there's some local burger places that I like that are just local places that I like either one. There's uh, I don't know if anybody in San, how many people in San Antonio hear this. There's a place not far from me. It's uh, Fat Boy Burger. Okay. Really. Really good burgers, you know, one of these places with, a, you know, you go up and order the counter and there's a picnic table, couple picnic tables around it and stuff. Uh, but excellent burgers, uh, good onion rings. And then there's a, kind of a local chain. There's like four of them called Burger Boy. And Burger Boy is, is better than either In-N-Out or Whataburger. Please tell me there's a giant ceramic boy out front <laughs> like Bob's Big Boy. Uh-huh. Is there really? Yeah. <laughs> I, at least the, the original one does. I don't know if they all do. All right, all it right. doesn't quite look like Bob's Big Boy, but it, it it's kind of a cross between that and it's orange, almost like the Whataburger stuff is. So, but uh, yeah, they're they're good. And like, but yeah, I got to put my my friends at Fat Boy Burger at number one. But that's not a chain. It's just a one-off family burger place, kind of about a mile down the road from my house. All right. Well, when I come out to San Antonio, I'm going to have to check out Fat Boy. Absolutely. Hey, well, you know, if you come here to see the missions, you got to get a puppy taco. Oh, so what's in a puppy taco? Please tell me it's not actual puppies. Uh, well, they, they the puppy part is the tortilla. They they fry it away, they puff everything up, then oh, usually put puffy. in. Uh, I heard puppy like like little dogs. Oh no no not puppy God that would <laughs> God everyone's gonna hate me now. No <laughs> puffy puffy. Blame, blame yeah. my bad ears. So t- no, tell us what's in a puffy, puffy. taco. Okay, well, you can put anything in it. You put in any, any other kind, but the shell itself, they cook it. It's uh, like a corn tortilla. That's like they, they cook it so it puffs up. And then I guess the most traditional thing would be picadillo, which is like seasoned ground beef with maybe a little bit of potato in it, or you can put in. Or the other thing you probably see the most is like shredded chicken. And uh, but uh, the the best known puffy taco place in town is a place called Henry's Puffy Tacos. I don't know how long it's been around other than I'm like 60 years old and I went there in high school <laughs> and Henry Henry's older than me. I, I don't know if he's still around. I think his grandchildren run the place now, but there is actually, there has been for years, a puffy taco mascot. And uh, I don't think they didn't do it this year because of COVID or what, but they used to do a thing called the puffy taco chase where uh, between innings, they put the taco on second base and they take a little kid and right. put him at first and the kid has to chase the taco and you can find us on YouTube. You look up, just look for the puffy taco chase, and the kid goes around and tackles the taco before it gets to the plate. Oh, I've and of course, that. the kid, yeah. yeah, the kid always wins. And the great thing is, I remember once telling somebody in Oregon about this, and she thought like I was joking. And then she knew somebody who played professional baseball and mentioned it to him. He's like, and he comes to the Texas League. He's like, oh yeah, I remember the taco. She's like, you mean it's real? And she thought I was just like pulling her leg. He's like that that. The taco is real, yes. Well, if you ever get a chance to talk to any of the coaches out there, Raul Padron is a friend of the podcast and uh, and uh, is a really good friend of ours. And Pete Zamora also, we've had him on the podcast as well. So, Alex- Okay, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Couple, uh, it was like last week I was out and I'm watching batting practice. At this point of the season, I feel like I know who everybody is, right? Well, there's a new guy out there taking some cuts, and he's not very big. I think he must be a second baseman or something. I think it's Padron's kid. Really? Yeah. Really? Nice. So, 
So I think he's only like like fourteen or something. But I was like, well, that's that's why he's not one as big as I is some of the other guys. You know, it's like these fourteen year old kids out there around Cordoba and some of those other guys going in and taking some cuts. But uh, well, I'm sure at some point AJ Preller took a good look at him. He's got a scouting report <laughs> on uh, on the young Padron boy. Joe, we really appreciate. You never know about about, about five years or so from now, we we may be hearing that name. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This is our first time talking to you. We're going to have you on again if you uh, agree to come on. We really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, thanks for the insight. Okay. Well, you guys have a good evening, then. It's been fun. Go Puffy Taco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have an affiliate rundown here in our notes, but we wound up having so much fun with Joe that we're just going to put that off for next week. Absolutely. Um, I love that Henry. Henry looks like a pitcher. Like, he doesn't look at the radar gun because, you know, he's busy doing whatever, but that he looks like a pitcher. Yeah, yeah, that tells me about, like, how he handles himself on the mound yeah. and just how he how he looks out there. That's That, that says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so when, when the time comes that he gets called up, you, hopefully he'll be prepared. I... I believe that we're going to see him one day. The yeah. guy's, he's got electric stuff. Yeah. I, he's been, he's a name. I obviously he's an easy name to follow. Yeah. Henry Henry is a unusual Eight name. Square, it's baby. a fun one to, to, to follow. It, it, I, somebody needs to make a song like Louie Louie for, for him when he Henry, comes up. Henry Henry. <laughs> uh, well, maybe so, he could be the closer. Like Henry Henry. Dun, oh, we got to go. I, 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 I don't know. Something like that. Oh uh, well, we do gotta go. Yep, because we've been we've been chatting on here for like an hour and twenty minutes now. So if you're still sticking with us, then God bless you. And you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan, and you can find me on Twitter at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres. Of our world is a beautiful place and we do need to take care of it.